This is the Garden Path Podcast. Hey gardeners, Misty here with a October monthly update. I honestly, it's the first week of November and <laughs> I was honestly thinking maybe I'm not going to record because ah, it's a little bit chaotic here in the United States right now. And uh, like so many people, kind of just trying to figure out where things are going at the moment. So, but I decided to sit down. So I'm going to talk about what happened in the October garden. And I feel like the first three weeks of October felt really slow. Like, are we ever going to get through October? And then this last week just like blazed right on by. Uh, At least that's how it appeared to me. I don't know how it appeared to you, but here we are. And now it's November and... I don't know. We're staring at the end of the year, you know, in its face. (laughs) And I don't know, you know, what 2021 really holds. I feel like I'm already trying to plan for spring because in in all honesty, like really I need to be on the ball for late January, early February for, for, for spring. And, you know, that involves planning and thinking ahead right now. And that gets a little bit hectic when so much is going on right now. I mean, we're, we're trying to settle in for winter here, right? And, you know, well, a winter in Texas, if, you know, it's not going to be your winter in Minnesota. So dealing with that and COVID and school at home and working at home and seeing how the holidays are going to work this year, which are, is going to be tricky for so many people. And we have to get through all of that before we get to spring, but yet we're still supposed to be thinking about spring a little bit already. <laughs> it's already in my mind, at least. I do want to apologize for my last episode. I don't know. I kind of felt like I was being a little too snobby, <laughs> maybe a little garden snobby uh, when I got on my rant about about native plants and, and not liking some certain plants and I think that's fine I mean we all have plants we just don't really like and some people just hate variegation and some people love variegation some people hate you know there's plenty of things people hate in the garden world I don't know I just felt like maybe I was coming off snobby and I didn't want it nobody complained I just I don't know just thinking to myself that maybe maybe it was not really nice and so hey I apologize and obviously (laughs) you can like whatever plants you want and uh, no big thing. Just, Hey, I have an opinion (laughs) and I'm spewing it out into the the garden world here. So onward from garden snobbery, which is kind of ironic because not long after I, you know, I, I think I was just whining about not being able to grow plants and, and a lot of that is just like what's offered at nurseries. And then I started thinking, you know, I have a big chunk of my edible garden that I just don't use for, especially in the summertime. There's just not nearly as many crops that I can successfully grow in our heat that, you know, some other folks can do. So there's just some lulls and there's a lot of areas that could can take, that have gaps that it can take something else. And so I kind of had already been thinking like, well, Maybe I will have a little bit of a flower garden in the edible garden. I think I've, I've ranted about this before. And then I was on the Cassiopeia Farm Instagram page and 
she was just showing some of their end of season zinnias and they're just so beautiful. And so I just kind of messaged her and asked like, where do you get your seeds and what kind are these? And, and, you know, mostly because my son grew some zinnias in his little plot in the edible garden this late summer. They're still growing great right now. It just kind of gave me the idea. I was like, maybe, maybe we'd just do a zinnia bed or, you know, zinnia ends of beds or something like that. And so she mentioned that she got them from Florette. And, you know, I've obviously know about Florette. I think so many gardeners already know about Florette up in uh, Washington state. And so I popped onto their website, which I'd been to once or twice before, but because I can't, I guess I, I've already separated myself from so much in the gardening world because there's so much I just can't grow because of our deer situation. I've just divorced myself from all of that. Don't look at it. You're going to want it and just ignore it. So that's what I had done. So I went there and I started ooing and aahing and just pretty much going crazy. Like, oh my God, I want to grow this. Can I grow that? And uh, they didn't have seeds right now. They don't have seeds till January. The prices were a little bit steep. So I ended up kind of Googling some of those varieties that Florette had and to see if I could find it, you know, find them anywhere else. And sure enough, I did. I found some, uh, I think it's Swallowtail Garden Seeds. It's just me talking about seed houses. There's no like paid advertising here or anything like that. And so I went over there and started perusing their zinnia selection. And of course, between my son and I, we came out with uh, several packs of seeds. Well, more than several. And I'm just going to read the names of them. Uh, I'm very excited. First was Cupcakes Pink Zinnia, um, then Aztec Burgundy Bicolor, Peppermint Stick, Preciosa Yellow, Queen Lime with Blotch, and I think this was one of the ones that was on Florette that I really liked, uh, Zahara Double Bright Orange, and Violet Queen, and I really now can't remember who, who picked who, and oh, then I found a pack of random, random Zinnia seeds in our seed collection um, today, actually, uh, just a little bit mix. So adding those to the pile and I'm thinking I'll probably do several rounds of these for the next, you know, few months. Well, by that, I mean in December when I start tomatoes under lights and peppers, I will probably start zinnia seeds as well as some other flowers to kind of get a head start on the growing season, putting them out in, you know, March when we're not gonna have any more frosts and then just kind of direct sowing, you know, throughout the spring and summer to get some new zinnias in there and just kind of honestly just experiment a little bit. And I'm very excited about this. I don't know why I'm, I'm so excited, I guess, because I don't get to enjoy just this kind of really cool annual flower situation and I miss it a lot and I don't know if anybody else relates to this but it just it's kind of frustrating and I actually thought about a lot about when I grew stuff in containers and now just like want like I don't know elevated shelving to put like containers <laughs> up on <laughs> to grow things in pots and that's honestly some some reason why I keep some things on the potting bench for so long 
it's because it's out of the way of the deer and I know if I put it down the deer's just gonna eat it and there what was the point so hey zinny experiment for next year you guys oh and with that um I also bought sweet peas we actually had a pack and I think because I bought some from those were from Renee's or botanical interest I think they were Renee's and I don't remember where I got those and I had those on hand but then I bought another one it was like a I think it was also called cupcakes mix or something it's a dwarf one they only get like I think I'm maybe missing this I think it's a two feet tall or like two feet I don't have the pack in front of me at the moment but you could use them in containers so I'm growing some of those in a container. I'm using the pack that I already had on hand to also sow into the edible garden. And because I listened to an episode of the Roots and All podcast, which is a UK podcast um, that I really enjoy, there was an episode in, I think, late September or all early October with a sweet pea grower over there in the UK. And they talked about starting their seeds in the fall because it produced, I guess, better flowers, better crop, whatever in the spring. And I've only really grown sweet peas one other time. And that was back in a a community garden and in 2011, 2012. And I remember starting them and maybe even in January and, you know, they had great success and then I've never really gotten to grow them again because, you know, deer. And (laughs) so I'm going to grow them this year as just like, something another experiment so I started some on the potting bench I already have two I just transplanted two two of the regular um, sweet peas out into the garden today and I'm kind of waiting there's some of the dwarf ones still germinating so I'm kind of waiting for them to finish germinating then I'm going to put them into the uh, edible garden as well and then I went ahead and got a hanging basket that I had empty fill it with soil and sowed some more of the dwarf variety. And I'm also experimenting with that. I'm really just kind of excited to do something a little bit different than I normally get to do. And just um, trying to think outside the box and enjoy gardening a little bit more with that. Okay, on to some updates. The flower garden is really just, you know, starting to go downhill. Leaves are dropping everywhere. I'm having to make leaves, you know, I should be raking them once a, once a week, but I'm not really doing that too much off the path yet. And, you know, I'm resisting the urge to hack down some stuff, <laughs> mostly because you want to you wanna leave things for insects for fall as, as cover, as for, um, you know, to create uh, you know, leaf litter for ground nesting bees and wasps and things like that. And so I'm trying to resist the urge to clean up too much, even though I really just, you know, want to scratch that itch, right? And there will be some cleanup. I really do need to get in and just probably go through and see about some weeds and things like that. And, you know, there's really not too much in the flower garden, like big and spectacular growing. I did our white Brugmansias, which always bloom this in the fall. Um, And one year they... I think they, yeah, maybe it was last year. They just started blooming and then we got that, we got a heavy freeze like really early and they were, they were done. They got knocked back to mm, probably halfway to the ground and then they kind of tried to grow back and then we got some more freezes and 
but they always come back and just because it's on a protected side of the house. So they don't always die back, but it takes them, you know, nine months to get going and start blooming and finally getting to enjoy them. So I'm hoping we don't actually get a frost until December this year and we will be able to enjoy them. I, I've been loving looking out my back window and seeing them in bloom. Now our pink ones, they bloom all summer and I, I couldn't tell you, I should probably try to figure out which exact species each of them are, but obviously the white ones are um, something different than the ones, the ones that bloom for, for all summer and into fall. So because there's not a whole lot interesting going on in the flower garden, I'm going to skip over to Sporanthes orchids for a little bit here. So there's several species that are kind of common in this area and several that bloom right in the fall period. And one of the main ones that I think is more common and kind of widespread is called Sporanthes cernua. Uh, I think it's nodding ladies tresses. And when we moved in here, we didn't mow for <laughs> a long time because we had a ton of trees cut down in our yard because of the drought. And so we couldn't really maneuver a mower anywhere. So that allowed some of the orchids to come up. So it was really exciting. And it, we never really bothered keying those out until the last few years. And um, that's, that's what they are. Although we did have another one come up in another part of the yard at a different time period. This was when we had a, a lot of rain a few years ago. So we weren't being, we weren't able to load, um, we weren't able to mow our low areas because it was sopping wet. And so a lot of grass grew up and because nothing was being mowed, this orchid showed up and it lasted a while, but the deer actually ended up uh, chowing it down. So I never got to figure out which one it was. I don't think it was Spiranthes odorata, which is a, a big time wetland uh, um, Spiranthes orchid. And so I'm not sure which one it was. I don't even know if I have a picture of it. So, but yes, the Spiranthes cernua, it's very common in right-of-ways around here because they get mowed. So there's not, they kind of gets, you know, the mowing that it needs certain times of the year. And, you know, a lot of people taper off their mowing right now, which I've been excited to see. There are several swaths near my office and I'm just like, don't mow. I mean, clumps of several hundred and I'm super excited to see them. And I hope, I hope, uh, so if, if, if you see them around in the greater Houston, East Texas, Central Texas area right now, more than likely it's Spiranthes cernua, but there are several species of Spiranthes out there with that require different habitats. So keep an eye on them. They're just like cute little white spiral uh, inflorescence orchids. They're just really kind of cool. So out in the edible garden, I think the edible garden is really like where things are happening right now. There's a transition between uh, seasons. The roselle is still hanging on. It's like eight feet tall. Um, I've kind of stopped harvesting because I'm tired of picking the calices off and dealing with that. And I've got plenty from last year and this year. So now I'm just kind of letting them go to seed. I've started saving some seeds. So I may, may have a little giveaway on Instagram here in a few weeks when I have a lot of seeds. So stay posted on that. And also, <laughs> I again with that freeze, I'm hoping I can get a freeze like in December so I can get, uh, I'm pretty sure it's more spaghetti squash. And I might have mentioned this in the last episode, but I had this random uh, squash vine come up and it really became a vine. It went crazy. And it was actually on three trellises that I had um, 
what was I growing on that? Cucumbers, cucumbers. I had cucumbers on it this summer and I was leaving those trellises actually for the sweet peas. And then this vine came up and took over and I have at least, I have one squash that's starting to form and probably maybe two more right behind it. But again, I don't know if I'm going to be able to see a full grown one um, before the frost. And we've had a couple cold or mornings, high thirties, and I kind of wondered if they were going to bite the dust then, but they didn't. They've, they're looking good. We're going to, we're going to see what's going on with that experiment. A lot of the greens that I transplanted over the last few weeks in October, early October, even I think maybe into September are starting to fill out and look really great. I'm having to fill in some clumps of areas that either cut worms or birds or I'm not sure some different things have made a few seedlings disappear. So I'm re-sowing a few areas and kind of figuring out that I'm excited for lush beds of greens and starting to actually use some stuff for green smoothies again, which I haven't done green smoothies in a long time, but it's been really nice to have that. And then my son and I planted carrots earlier in the month and we were excited for that. My, my husband ended up, ended up planting a separate bed just full of carrots. He likes little finger carrots and he likes to have a whole bed of them just because we harvest them. We may harvest them to kind of nibble on, but he we really just harvest them for freezing and, and eat off of those for the whole year. But my son likes to eat carrots straight from the garden, you know, wash them off, eat them right there. And so that's why we started some. I have a whole bunch of different varieties I think there's some purple, atomic purple, I believe, and, you know, a rainbow mix and some good old fashioned, you know, red or orange ones. And those are, those are doing good. And a few months, we're going to have some carrots. Kind of exciting. Oh, the other thing about the edible garden, I think we're getting closer to figuring out how we're going to redo the beds out there. And if anybody has any input on this next topic, I would like to hear it. I had, I had been thinking about it and for my idea was we have a pallet of limestone bricks that we use to line our flower garden. And I thought maybe we could use that, start some, some of the beds. We'll probably have to buy at least one more, if not two more pallets and just do that as, you know, over the year, you know, whenever we have the money to spend on that, whatever. And then my husband came up with the idea. It's like, I think I'm just going to pour concrete beds. And that kind of made me a little nervous because that's much more permanent of a thing than, than, you know, wood or bricks or anything like that. But I started looking at it and, you know, as I've seen concrete beds before, but they've been mostly in more formal gardens at like botanic gardens and things like that. And it looks good. I think it would work great. I'm just, again, nervous about that aspect of having it. It's more permanent and a lot of work to re to remove. Like you're going to have to <laughs> break it apart to move it. And, you know, I don't know. Does anybody have an opinion about that? If you do, um, would love to hear it. Um, you know, anything about cracking or soil, um, moisture, retention or anything relevant to that. If you think that's a good or bad idea for a raised bed, but 
that's kind of the idea of where we're going because all of those buds are just are rotten. They're just falling apart. And it's, it's almost to the point where you could take the, the, the beds apart and just kind of grow in the ground. <laughs> so we're looking at that this spring and summer, probably in, in parts as well, because, you know, the time consumed, uh, in, and just getting all that set up and pouring the concrete and all of that. I mean, it's a cheaper alternative than, you know, buying limestone, uh, bricks and dealing with that. But again, permanence. So good ideas or uh, bad ideas. Let me know. Okay. Uh, kind of start wrapping things up. We've been doing some hiking lately, uh, trying to get out and camp a little bit as, you know, safely as we can with COVID. We've been hiking since we felt like we could start hiking back in April and May, but getting back into it because fall is the best season uh, and winter is best season, you know, for camping uh, with the heat and all of that. So we actually went out to Huntsville State Park last weekend over uh, Halloween weekend. And I was really excited because we came up on to the, the dam. There is Lake Raven. And we did this big circumference hike around the lake, about eight miles. And about halfway, maybe not quite, there's the dam. And you walk up across it. And it's just kind of, it's, it's one of the open areas. And most of the rest of it is either pineland or some bottomland hardwood areas. And this open area and the Gulf Fertile areas were just out in, in, in droves. And there was a couple of common buckeyes as well. And I was just thinking, man, there's a lot of Gulf Fertile areas. And then I happened to see a chrysalis. It actually looked like it had been parasitized. I thought I saw some holes in it. I didn't look too close because I was dallying, taking pictures and my son and my husband were up ahead. And so I didn't want to stop too long. But then I don't know, maybe 50 feet further down, I had to stop because it was a Gulf fritillary that had just emerged from a chrysalis. And I've only seen that in the garden. I've never seen a chrysalis, a new emerged butterfly from a chrysalis out, you know, <laughs> in the wild per se. And so that was really exciting. You know, it, it hadn't even dried its wings. It was still wrinkly. I mean, it literally, you know, if I hadn't have stopped 50 feet before, maybe I'd have caught it, right? So I stopped and took some pictures of that. It was really exciting to see. And I watched those. And then I thought, okay, if that's merging two chrysalises, there's all these gulf fritillaries. And there's got to be a lot of passiflora somewhere under here. And that would have been incarnata. Um, and I did. I ended up finding one vine. I know there's got to be more somewhere on that berm. Uh, but... Uh, I bet it's I bet it's crazy out there in the summer with the passiflora. So I'm gonna have to go back next year and uh, in the summertime and check it out. And I mentioned the spiranthes. We a couple weekends before that, earlier October, we went to uh, Martin Dyes Junior State Park over in East Texas. It's um, a really cool state park. A very East Texas. Um, bottomland kind of feeling it's on a on a lake and it's just it's a cool place I really like that park but I remember from a visit several years ago uh along one of the trails Spiranthes odorata and it's that's that's one of the orchids that likes the wetland and it's like it's perfect timing let's see if it's gonna be blooming and sure enough we went on the trail and there they were and that was really nice to see they're much taller than Cernua and they're gonna be in wet wet areas um and that was, that was cool. So I've, I'm excited. I'm getting some orchid time in 
and and that was great. Okay, and lastly, I want to say I am getting excited about my newsletter again, and I kind of want to pump you guys up for that, I guess, a little bit for subscribing. I've been enjoying putting it together. I'm actually putting a little more thought into it than I have in the past, adding more graphics and some things about what I'm reading. And so I'm going to entice you guys to subscribe. Go to thegardenpathpodcast.com. There's a subscription uh, on the right-hand side. Just fill your uh, email in. I think it will probably send you like a verification email, which um, kind of what you have to do now. So if you'll just go and verify that that would be great it's just really fun i've been trying to do it maybe monthly definitely quarterly and i've i've been enjoying sharing that spending a little bit of time writing about the previous month and and other interesting things i'm finding in the garden world okay this has been a little bit of a longer garden wrap-up episode maybe i'm just really excited <laughs> we're burning off some steam here so i'm going to wrap up and I am going to be doing the gathering moss episode. Let me click over here because I'm a little bit slow this, this month. We're going to do the gathering moss episode the week of November 16th. So you've got two weeks before we talk about the next four chapters, I believe, instead of three chapters. And I look forward to recapping that with you guys. And then another week and another episode. All right, until then, thegardenpathpodcast.com. You can email me, thegardenpathpodcast at gmail.com. And I'm on Instagram at thegardenpathpodcast. Until next time, happy gardening and or bundling up and dreaming about spring wherever you are. <laughs>